you would take your Bibles this time and turn to the book of James, James chapter number 3. James chapter number 3. <coughs> and we're going to be reading verses 13 through 18. And as you're finding that, if you're able to physically stand, I ask you to stand out of respect and reverence for the reading of the Word of God. James chapter number 3, verses 13 through 18. The Word of God says this, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace." And let's pray together. Lord, we do come before you asking for your wisdom as we look at this passage that describes wisdom. Help us, Lord, to um, desire and to uh, have godly wisdom in our life. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct during this time. And I pray, Lord, that you would remove the distractions from our minds and our hearts and to focus in on your word and your will for our lives, and help us, Lord, to not be just good hearers, but help us also to be good doers of what we hear. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So once again, as we're going through the book of James, the context of this particular passage is that since we have been saved, here are some things you now need to do. Uh, because of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, since we are now a new creature in Christ, it should then change the way we live. That's the case that James has been making ever since James chapter 1 and verse number 18. And it should be evident in our relationship to the word of God, right? We, we should receive the word of God with meekness, and then we should respond to the word of God in submission and obedience, uh, it should be evident in the fact that um, in, in the fact that we've been born again should also produce a desire to have a compassion uh, to the fatherless and to the widows and their afflictions and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. James also says that true believers ought also not not to be respecter of persons, but to treat everyone with the love of Christ, regardless of how big their bank account is or any other factor that we should be nice to the Oklahoma Sooner fans, and we should be nice, yes, even to the OSU Cowboy fans. I knew there would be an amen there. There was no amens when we talked about the Sooners, but okay. I see. We're closer to the Sooners, but oh well. Um, uh, so we're not to be respecter of persons. James also says that true believers um, with saving faith will show their faith by their works. 
that real faith is going to evidence itself in works. And last Sunday, uh, we took some time to look at a passage that, um, that, that as Christians, our speech should be different as we looked at the tongue and the dangers of the tongue and the power of it. Uh, now, in this passage, James now turns our attention from words that come out of our mouth to wisdom that we live out in our lives. And in many ways, they go hand in hand. We need God's wisdom when it comes to uh, the speech that comes out of our mouth. Now, of course, wisdom, just a reminder, is not just mere knowledge. I mean, you can have all the knowledge of Wikipedia and still be a complete fool. A person could have all the degrees in the world and have the entire alphabet after their name and still be spiritually blind. That's very possible. See, godly wisdom, though, is the practical application of God's Word to everyday life. So having the right knowledge and knowing how to use that knowledge in life is what we're talking about when it comes to godly wisdom. Now, of course, the Lord Jesus is our perfect and ultimate example of wisdom. He really is wisdom incarnate. In 1 Corinthians 1, in verse number 30, the Bible says this, Paul said, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So he is the ultimate definition of wisdom. Everything that he did when he was on this earth was of complete and perfect wisdom at all times. And so he is, of course, our example, and it's great to be reminded of that. But I want to dive in this morning and look at what James says about godly wisdom. And first of all, I want us to see here in, in verse number 13, the demand for godly wisdom. There is a demand for wisdom in our lives. We need it. We absolutely need it. Um, it there is a tremendous demand for it. Um, now, as we go through uh, the thoughts here on your outline, if you are taking notes today, first of all, I want us to see that godly wisdom is needed, is needed. I mean, as we consider all the aspects of life that James has already dealt with up to this point, in chapter 1, remember, he dealt a lot with trials and tribulations, and we, we spoke about that, and I was looking back at my notes on that, and I remember preaching on trials, and that particular week afterwards, our family experienced several trials. And then the next week, I said, okay, I, I'm not going to preach on trials anymore. I'm going to preach on the Dallas Stars winning the Stanley Cup and, and, and being rich and, and all those things. And those, those things did not happen, sadly. Um, but look, we all face trials and tribulations, hard times and afflictions. It's part of life, and, and we need God's wisdom when we go through those. Then James also dealt with favoritism in the church. I mean, those who come in wearing the nice clothes and driving the, the sweet new ride, and they get preferential treatment in the, in the church. It's like, come sit in the best seat in the house, which we defined as Baptist is the back row, uh, right? That's the best seat in the house in a Baptist church, I guess. So for those on the back row today, you're in the best seat in the house, evidently. I think right up front, boy, when you go to a baseball game or a football game or any type of sporting event, you want to sit as close to the action as you can. Prices go up as you get closer to the action. And uh, I think in the Baptist church, it's reversed. Sadly, it should be the other way around. It should be uh, where we want to get as close to the action as we can. Amen on that? 
Hey, Brother Randy's saying amen, but you normally sit over here. You've moved back a couple rows, brother. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I know your family's here, and I appreciate, I appreciate them coming today. I'm just giving him a hard time. But favoritism in the church, uh, we need wisdom as we deal with one another in the church, in the church family. And then in chapter number three, he deals quite a bit with gossip and slander and, and uh, our words. And, and as we consider all of those things, it's obvious that we all need godly wisdom to handle all of that. I mean, godly wisdom is absolutely needed in every area of our lives. When it comes to our personal lives and just our thought process and when it comes to our family relationships between husbands and wives, do we need God's wisdom for that? Absolutely. I need to know what God's Word says for me as a husband as I treat my wife. I, I, I need to understand that, that, that God has told me in His Word to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. Okay, And then I need to go and do it. It's not enough to just know it. I need to go and do it. And I need God's wisdom when it comes to dealing with my children and dealing with my uh, in-laws and outlaws and all those different types of people in my extended family. Uh, look, we, we, and, and I know that every one of us has issues with family members at times, and we need God's wisdom as we deal with them. What about our finances? Do we need God's wisdom when it comes to how we steward the resources that God has given to us? Absolutely. We need God's wisdom when it comes to our church, uh, church life, when it comes to dealing with one another within the church. And we've already mentioned that. But uh, we, as we make decisions regarding our future, do we need God's wisdom regarding that? Absolutely. And on and on the list could go. We, we need God's wisdom on a daily basis. And it's no wonder that Solomon once rightly wrote this to his son in Proverbs chapter number 4. He said, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth, forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee, love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, she shall promote thee, she shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. See, wisdom is needed, godly wisdom is. We all need it. Don't think that you can go through life effectively, successfully without it. Godly wisdom is needed, but sadly, notice secondly here, godly wisdom is often neglected. It's often neglected. In verse number 13, if you look there, uh, James asks, Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Who is there? In other words, uh, where are those who are truly wise there in that church? This insinuates that there were those who were not. That there were many, evidently, who chose to neglect wisdom in their life. I'm going to ask you to turn to Proverbs chapter number 1. We'll be back here in James 3 in a moment. But there are sadly those who choose to neglect godly wisdom think they don't need it, think they're too good for it, think it's for other people who need it, but I don't. I've got this. We've been studying in, the, in our Sunday school class about the book of J the Judges, and uh, we just covered a story about those in those days, they were doing that which was right in their own eyes. 
They, they, they didn't want to do things according to God's wisdom. They, they neglected God's wisdom, and they wanted to do things their own way. If you pick it up in verse number 20 of Proverbs chapter 1, here wisdom, the Bible says, crieth without. And here Solomon is personifying wisdom when he says, Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She, wisdom, crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates, in the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. But notice here in verse 24, Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded I mean, it's basically like this picture of a person on the street kind of going, hey, I'm here to help you, I'm here to help you, I'm here to help you. And they kind of just walk by going, what a weirdie. I don't really want that help. Because I've called, verse 24, and ye refused, I stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. Wisdom says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. That's the promise for those who decide to neglect godly wisdom. But, but here in verse 33, there's a promise for those who choose to take godly wisdom and apply it to their life. Verse number 33, But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Wouldn't you rather verse 33 than the beginning part of the, the, the previous verses? I think all of us would. All of us would. Godly wisdom is needed, but sadly, it's neglected. So we see the demand for wisdom, for godly wisdom, but I want us to see number two, which kind of goes along with the last thought here, the denial of godly wisdom, the denial of godly wisdom. Going back to James chapter number three. Who is a wise man, verse number 13, and endued with knowledge among you, question mark. I hope the answer here is, as the Lord would maybe ask the same question to us here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, I hope the answer is a lot of us are. I think I, I, I want this church to be filled with those who are wise and those who are endued with knowledge. Well, here's what he says then. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. We'll, we'll come back to that in, in just a few minutes here. But, but verse number 14 through 16, we see the denial of godly wisdom. But, verse 14, if you have bitter envying, and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. We're going to break this down this morning very quickly. See, unfortunately, not everyone has godly wisdom. Even many of the Lord's people have denied godly wisdom and instead chose to live by 
And yes, I'm going to go ahead and say it, satanic wisdom. Because that's what James calls it. This wisdom is devilish. And it does not come from God. It comes from below, from the pit of hell. Now let's talk about this type of wisdom here. Verse, or first of all here, let's look at the reality of satanic wisdom. The reality of satanic wisdom. It is a reality, and James goes in and defines what it really is. Because see, this type of wisdom that is not from above manifests itself in four types of spirits. If you're taking notes, these are not going to be on the screen, so you'll just have to listen as best you can. But verse number 14 tells us the four types of spirit that the satanic wisdom manifests itself in. First of all, it manifests itself in a bitter spirit. Notice in verse number 14, but if ye have bitter envying, bitter envy, Envy that causes bitterness in our hearts is not of God. It's, it's actually listed in Romans chapter number 1 along with some pretty heinous sins, ones that we would blush at. Envy is found right in the middle of all that. Romans one twenty nine. listen to this verse, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy. And then the very next word is murder and debate, deceit, malignity, whispers. So envy is right in the middle of all of those horrible sins. And we don't think it's that big of a deal because it's not usually shown and seen on the outside. But my friend, it is there on the inside. And it can create tremendous bitterness in our hearts that impact others, but ultimately our own selves. I think about Joseph's brothers and how jealous they were of him and what that led them to do. They, they were so envious of Joseph and the relationship that, 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 Israel, that, that uh, yeah, Joseph had with, with his dad, and, and, uh, and they wanted that, and they didn't have it, and so they were very envious. The Bible says so much so in Genesis 37, 11, his brothers, brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying, See, they were so jealous that they almost killed him and eventually sold Joseph into slavery. That bitter envying that was in their hearts led to that. Remember King Saul, who got jealous of David? Because remember when David took down Goliath and uh, the, the, the number one song on iTunes and Spotify was, you know, David has killed his ten thousands, but Saul has only killed his thousands. Or maybe I have it reversed. And now all the, all the ladies in the streets were singing this song, and it was kind of going viral, and this was the new hip-happening song that everybody was singing. And everybody loved it except for one person, and it was King Saul. And he began to get so bitter and envious towards the attention that David was getting that he was used to having. And that enviness caused bitterness in his heart, so much so that what happened to him is he went on elaborate manhunts to try to hunt down David to try to ultimately kill him and end his life so he could remove him from this planet. That's what bitter envying can do in our hearts. And I don't know if you've ever experienced a little bit of jealousy. The idea of 
looking at someone else and what they have, and you don't have it, and you want it, and, and it can, you can start comparing yourselves and going, man, I wish I had what they had. I wish I had the, the possessions they had. I wish I had the position they had or, 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 or the popularity they have. I, I want those things, but I don't have them. So you begin to get jealous and kind of hope that they stumble and fall, and they lose some of what you hoped to have. That's wrong, folks. That is not from above. That is from beneath. That is from the pit of hell. Dio Moody once told the fable of an eagle who was envious of another eagle that could fly better than he could. One day, the bird saw a sportsman with a bow and arrow and said to him, Hey, sir, excuse me. I, I, I wish you could bring down that eagle up there. And the man said, Well, I, I would if I just had some feathers to put on my arrow. So the jealous eagle said, well, well, I've got one right here, and he pulled one out of his wing. And the arrow was shot, but it didn't quite reach the rival bird because he was flying just too high. And the first eagle then pulled out another feather, then another, until he had lost so many feathers that he himself couldn't fly. The archer then took advantage of the situation, turned around, and killed the helpless bird. And Moody made this application, if you are envious of others, the one you will hurt the most by your actions will be yourself. See, we just go, well, I hope that they stumble and fall so that I look better and feel better about myself. What ends up happening is we get bitterness in our hearts and it ruins us. It doesn't hurt them. And so, how does this satanic wisdom manifest itself? First, through a bitter spirit. Secondly, through a bullying spirit. The Bible says in verse number 14, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, strife in your hearts, this says to seek for yourself even if it hurts others. This is the one in the workplace who says, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder and it doesn't matter who I have to step on in order to get up there. This is the child that when the food is brought out, they want the biggest and the best for themselves. They, they, they are selfish. That's the idea here of the strife in our hearts. Just focusing on myself so much that even if it means division, so be it. I want to get my way accomplished. You may have heard the story of two friends who met for dinner in a restaurant. Each one of them requested a filet of fish. Um, and after a few minutes, the waiter came back with their order. Two pieces of fish, a large piece and a small piece were on the same platter. So what were they going to do? Well, one of the men proceeded to serve his friend. Placing the small piece on a plate, he handed it across the table. Well, you certainly do have nerve, exclaimed his friend. Hey, what's troubling you, asked the other. Well, look what you've done, he answered. You've given me the little piece and kept the big one for yourself. Well, how would you have done it, the man asked. His friend replied, well, well if I were serving, I would have given you the big piece. Well, replied the man, I've got it, haven't I? And at this... They both laughed. See, the thing is, is we do want what's best for ourselves in this life, don't we? 
And if we're not careful, that can lead to division. That can lead to strife, even in the church. I've got to have my way done. And if I don't get my way, then I'm going to make everybody's life miserable. Maybe that happens in the home. Okay, maybe never your home. Somebody else's home. Does it happen in the home? I think it does. It happens all over the place. And if we're not careful, we as the Lord's people will allow that to happen in our own heart. A bullying spirit where I'm going to push my way to the front. And I don't care if I end up hurting somebody in the process. It's just a necessary collateral damage. But that totally goes against what we're called to do and called to have in our hearts. Paul said in Philippians 2, in verse number 3 and verse 4, he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. See, it's not about what I want, it's how I can serve you. That's the spirit of Christ. Spirit of Satan is, hey, I will be like the Most High. I'm going to get what I want, and it doesn't matter who I hurt in the process. That can show up in a church very easily. Ralph Woods tells a story of an ambitious farmer, and he was unhappy about the yield of his crops, but he heard about a highly recommended new seed of corn. So he bought some of this corn seed, and, and, and that ended up producing a crop that was so abundant that his astonished neighbors around asked him to sell them a portion of the new seed. The farmer, afraid that he would lose a profitable competitive advantage, refused to sell any of his seed to his neighbors. Well, the second year, the new seed, for some reason, did not produce as good of a crop as the first year. The farmer was scratching his head, wondering why. I thought this was good seed. I mean, last year it produced such a great harvest. Like, why isn't it doing it this year? Well, third year comes, and his crop was even worse than the second year. And then it finally dawned upon him that his prized corn was actually being pollinated by the inferior grade of corn from his neighbor's fields. See, if he would have just sold some of that to them, his crop would have been better. See, once again, uh, we, we, we learn that this type of wisdom most harms the one who has it. And so if you have a bullying spirit, guess who's going to get bullied ultimately? You are. So this satanic wisdom manifests itself in a bitter spirit, in a bullying spirit, and then thirdly, in a boastful spirit. In verse number 14, again, if you have been bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. So what was happening is that there were those in the church there that had this bitter spirit, had this bullying spirit, and were going around broadcasting how wonderful they were and how, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful Christian they were and how spiritual they were. It reminds me of the, uh, the Pharisees during the life of Christ during his earthly ministry. And I think of especially the Pharisee in Luke 18 who said this. Well, here's what it says. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. And that's a key word there. He didn't pray to God. He was praying with himself. He prayed thus with himself. God, 
I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican right here. Yeah, I may have all the while who was guilty of having this bullying, bitter spirit towards the Lord Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. The Pharisees were. They were constantly trying to catch him doing wrong. And of course, they were unsuccessful because Jesus never did wrong. But they had this enviness. They had this bitterness in their heart, and they were trying to bully their way to the front of the line. They wanted to have the influence. They wanted to have the power. And they didn't want Jesus coming in and stealing that from them. So they had this boastful spirit as well, though, because they went around going broadcasting how wonderful they were. And I have seen this too. Those who have a bad spirit go around saying, hey, I'm doing fine. Would you, you, you need to understand, I am right with God. And that leads to not only a boastful spirit, but fourthly here, a blind spirit. Verse number 14, he says, glory not and lie not against the truth. See, those who are caught up in this type of wisdom, those who have a bitter spirit and a bullying type of spirit, those who boast about how great they are and how spiritual they are, they lie against the truth. They are blind to the truth that they are so far away from God. Oh, they may have the appearance that they're right with God, but appearance isn't everything. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, and he knows whether we're right with him or not inside and so they're blind. And the Apostle, Paul, Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 1. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. See, the idea is we, we, we say we have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness. My friend, you can, you can say all day long that you have fellowship with God, but you are a liar if you're not actually walking in truth. If you're not actually walking in the light, you are a complete liar. So, and James has already said that in James chapter number two. If you say you have faith and you have not works, your faith is dead. Don't, don't try to... Talk me into and persuade me with your words. I want to see it in your life. So we see the reality of the satanic wisdom that we learn about here in James chapter number 3. This type of wisdom, Bible in verse number 16, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. And we see here that we struggle here with the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? Those are our three biggest enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We see that here in verse number 15. This wisdom comes from the earth, the world. It's sensual. That deals with the flesh, and it's devilish. It is also talking about the devil as our enemy. Those are our three enemies. And uh, we see that here, that this wisdom comes from those enemies. It's earthly, sensual, and devilish. So we see the reality of satanic wisdom. Hang with me as we look at next the results of satanic wisdom in verse number 16. 
So what does this satanic wisdom produce? What are the results if I allow myself to go down this road of getting bitterness in my heart or becoming a bully and trying to get my way done wherever I am? And I start boasting about how great of a Christian I am. And and we we lose our humility. And then then we begin to get blind to the fact that we're completely away from God. And we think we are and we're not. What's the result of all of that? Well, look at verse number 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So two words here, unrest and ungodliness are the results of satanic wisdom. Unrest is confusion. There is confusion. And of course, this is not a result of God's wisdom at all because God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And and here there's unrest. When you continue to live in such a way where you're exhibiting the behaviors and the spirit of satanic wisdom, guess what's going to follow you? Unrest everywhere you go. There's been people that we've ministered to over the course of our ministry who it's just like they're always going through some emergency and drama and craziness. And it's, and it's like, well, maybe you're just like a continual Job. Or maybe it's because they're not exhibiting godly wisdom and instead they're exhibiting satanic wisdom. Because confusion follows those who are living in, in this type of way where they're just, they, they get so bitter towards everybody or there's someone in their life that they cannot be right with and they're just so bitter towards them. Peace is not going to follow. Instead, confusion is going to follow. So there's unrest, but then there's also ungodliness. In verse number 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Can I give you a quick example of this? I've mentioned Solomon. He was the one who wrote Proverbs chapter number 1. We talked about the wisdom crying out and saying, Here, I'm, 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 I'm offering my services and, and no one regards. Solomon was the author of that. And, and he's the one that said, Hey, whatever you do, it's, wisdom is the principal thing. Get, get wisdom. Get understanding. He said all that. And he was granted tremendous wisdom. In fact, 1 Kings 4 and 29 says this, God gave, wisdom, uh, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largest of heart even as a sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. So God did bless Solomon with Egypt, but guess what? Uh, with, with, with all the wisdom of God, but, but, but guess what? There was a point in Solomon's life where he began to walk away and deny God's wisdom. What ended up happening there? 1 Kings 11. If you want to turn there, I'll invite you to do that. I'm going to read just a few verses here. 1 Kings chapter number 11 and verse number 1. But King Solomon, but King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonites, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Well, Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives. That's a lot of mother-in-laws. 
princesses and 300 concubines. I love my mother-in-law, but I don't know that I need another one. Um, 300 concubines and his wives sadly turned away his heart. Verse 4 says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the god of the Zidians, and, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as David did, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. Let's turn back to James chapter 3. Can you, this is the guy that got more wisdom than anyone else has gotten since, uh, no, no one's gotten more since, before or since, other than the Lord Jesus himself, who is wisdom incarnate. He had all that wisdom, but he turned his back on it. He knew what God said. And he started giving his heart to these strange women. And he ended up doing things that were absolutely unthinkable. James 3.16, For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. He built a high place, an altar unto Molech, and this was the one that people would bring their live children and throw them into the fire. That's the God that Solomon built an altar to. say, look, I'm not going to do anything crazy. I just have a little bit of a bad spirit towards somebody. It's not that big of a deal. Solomon, I'm just going to start loving another woman and another woman. It's not that big of a deal. My friend, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Here was a man who denied godly wisdom and, and what those results were. Look, friend, you and I are not the exception. If we choose like Solomon did to reject God's wisdom, we will have a similar result. Don't think, well, it's not going to happen to me. Oh, it can happen to Eric Johnson. Well, I mean, you've been in the ministry a while, you know. That would never happen to you. If I choose to start exhibiting behavior that is described in verses 14 and 15, there's, there's no telling what I might do. Friend, none of us are an exempt from this. So we see the results of satanic wisdom. But I want to get to number three here very quickly, the display of godly wisdom. Praise the Lord. This passage is not over. Verse 17 and 18, 17 especially, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. You see, no one has godly wisdom just because they say they do. Just like faith, it must be shown and displayed. We saw that in verse number 13. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So we are to show it. We are to show it through our walk and our works. Okay, two major categories of wisdom. 
godly wisdom. First of all, godly wisdom is, f- is first pure. Verse 17, the wisdom that is from above, that comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no very most, neither, neither shadow of turning, that wisdom is first pure. Purity is so important. Matthew 5.8, Jesus said in his Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Titus chapter number 2 and verse 11, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Godly wisdom is first pure in every area of life, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions in our spirit, in our body, in doctrine, in practice, in faith, in morals. We are to be pure in every which way. Holy, holy, holy. Remember, not only is he holy, but we're called to be holy. Be holy, for I am holy, we're called to do. A young lady who was attempting to defend her attendance at a questionable at questionable places of amusement, told her friend that she thought a Christian could go anywhere and we should just stop judging where people go. So her friend replied, well, certainly she can. Then she said, I'm reminded of a little incident which happened last summer when I went with a party of friends to explore a coal mine. One of the young women appeared dressed in a dainty white gown. When her friends were with her, Um, and said, I don't think you should go into the mine wearing that. She appealed to the old miner who was to act as a guide to the party. And she said, can't I wear a white dress down in the mine? She asked, well, yes, mom, returned the old man. There's nothing to keep you from wearing a white frock down there, but there will be considerable difficulty to keep you from wearing one back. See, there's nothing that prevents a Christian from being involved in all kinds of the filth of the world. But I'm telling you, your testimony is not going to remain pure and clean afterwards. So, godly wisdom is first pure. And then secondly, God's wisdom is next peaceable. And the rest of these fall under this category, peaceable. See, a wise man loves peace and will do all that he can to maintain peace without sacrificing purity. And it is important to remember the order, first pure, then peaceable. We already mentioned Matthew 5, 8, which says, Blessed are the pure in heart. The very next verse says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. See, first peace, first purity, then peace. Romans 12, 18, here's a great Motto for all of us, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Okay, here's some of the ways we can do that by being gentle. By being gentle. What does the word gentle mean? It means to be courteous and gracious. A wise man is a gentleman, respectful of the feelings of others, or a gentlewoman as well. Where we're thinking not just about our needs and our wants and our feelings, but considering the others around us too and being gentle. What about easy to be entreated? Well, that means to be approachable. It means to be teachable, willing to receive correction and counsel. Are you easy to be entreated? Godly wisdom is peaceable in this way where you are... No one has to go, well, i got to walk on eggshells around them constantly. 
Okay, maybe you have some people in your life that that's the case. You determine that that's not going to be you, that people don't have to walk on eggshells around you, that they can be open and honest and vulnerable with you. You are easy to be entreated. Of course, Jesus was the ultimate example in all of these. And that you're going to receive good counsel. If someone comes to you and and gives you counsel, you're not going to be like, "Ah, I already know what I'm going to do. That you're willing to receive what they have to say and and hear them out. Easy to be entreated. Are you that? What about this next one? Full of mercy. Full of mercy. This means that you are giving people many chances. That you're not just going to write people off the first time they blow it. There's a continual willingness to forgive. The 70 times 7 principle applies to these who have true godly wisdom. There was a couple who was married for 15 years, and they began, began having more than, un, more than the usual disagreements. So they wanted to make their marriage work and agreed on an idea that the wife had. For one month, they planned to drop a paper into a fault box. The boxes would provide a uh, place to let the other know about daily irritations. And the wife was diligent in her efforts, and... Uh, And so she wrote things like leaving the jelly top off the jar, wet towels on the shower floor, dirty socks not in the hamper, going right in the box. On and on until the end of the month. And after dinner, at the end of the month, they exchanged boxes. Husband opened the box, looked at the papers, and reflected on what he had done wrong. Then the wife opened her box and began reading, and they were all the same. The message on each slip of paper was, I love you. Which one are you? Are you the wife who's writing down everybody's mistakes and everybody's faults? Or are you the husband that says, look, no one's perfect, but I love you. And I'm willing to forgive the hurt that maybe you did in my life. I'm willing to look past it. I love you. I'm willing to forgive. Full of mercy. That's what wisdom, true godly wisdom is. Full of good fruits. He goes on to say, full of mercy and good fruits. Of course, reminds me of another list in the Bible in Galatians chapter 5. I'm not going to read it, but the Apostle Paul compares the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So this whole list here reminds me of that. And God does produce fruit in our life when we are filled with his wisdom. Next, without partiality. And we've already dealt with this a little bit. A wise man remembers that the ground is level at the cross and that no matter what nationality they are, no matter how much education someone has and no matter how much money someone has, we are all able to have a relationship with God and there is no difference between male and female, Okay, there is a difference between male and female. I wanted to mention that here. But when it comes to our relationship with God, God doesn't say, oh, look, you're a man. You can have a special place with me. You're a woman. I'm sorry. You're going to have to stay out. No, men and women are equally invited to come to Jesus, have a relationship with him. Jew and Gentile all equally now have access to the Lord. Rich, poor, bond, free, doesn't matter. We're all one in Jesus Christ without partiality. So that, that there, there, there has no, there's no place for that. 
with those who have godly wisdom. Then, of course, the last one he mentions, without hypocrisy. Verse 17, wisdom that is from above is without hypocrisy. Don't be an Academy Award-winning Christian. Some of us are pretty good at acting. Maybe you didn't go to acting school, or maybe you did, but look, let's be genuine. Let's not be hypocrites, saying one thing and doing something different. Let's be genuine, transparent, real, vulnerable, before God ultimately, and then before others as well. The Pharisees were the ones who put on a show. They had all the external outward appearances of righteousness. They had the robes. They had everything just right, but inside they were full of extortion and excess and full of dead men's bones, Jesus said. Don't be a Pharisee. Let's make sure that we're not acting, but that we're real. Let me conclude here with verse number 18, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Here, the, James is talking about a farmer here, the peacemakers. They are sowing peace, trying to produce righteousness. And it needs to be in the climate of peace. It's very difficult to make righteousness when there's a bunch of discord and strife going on in the church or in the family or at the workplace. Righteousness can only be made when it's sown in peace. And this connects true wisdom to the happenings of the church that James is addressing in chapter 4, which we'll get to next Sunday. Okay, let me just wrap this up. One final thought. So, what wisdom do you have? I imagine this, this today that all of us desire to have godly wisdom over satanic wisdom. I don't think there's a person here who goes, Ooh, I want to have satanic wisdom. If you do, you need some serious help. Okay. I think all of us desire to have godly wisdom, but which one have we been displaying recently? See, it's not which one we want to have or say we have, it's what we have been living out. And of course, this does beg the question, how then are we to obtain godly wisdom? Very quickly, through asking for it. James chapter 1 and verse number 5, if any man... If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Ask him for it. We all need it. Let's make sure that that's up there on the top of our prayer list as we pray each day. Lord, I need your wisdom. I want to do what's right. I want to live in a way that is pure, then peaceable, and fits all these things. And then through applying the word of God, the Bible is filled with practical nuggets of wisdom. The book of Proverbs is, is one that is filled with those little verses of, of wisdom. But then throughout the whole Bible, we can learn so many things that we can apply to our life. But again, it's not just knowing the Scriptures. We've got to do the Scriptures. May the Lord help us all to have godly wisdom in the days ahead. Verse number 13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? I hope the answer is all of us is. I hope that I am. I hope that you are that we would be wise people that have been endued with, uh, with knowledge from God and that we go and display that with our lives, that we would show out of a good conversation my works with meekness of wisdom. And with that, let's have a word of prayer.